It was Tuesday, August the 8th, 2023. That's when fires on the island of Maui prompted evacuations as well as road closures and a shelter-in-place advisory throughout western Maui. Within 24 hours, the little town of Lahaina, well, it was raised to the ground by the flames that destroyed almost everything in its path. And for the past two weeks, we've heard from the political leaders who have been making excuses for all of the incompetencies that uh, came across all along, you know, as the fires ripped through uh, Maui. And and, and on on the other side of the, the aisle there, we find all the conspiracy theorists who have been assuring us that the fire was started by a direct energy weapon. And, and listen, I don't know where you fall on all of this, but regardless of whether this disaster was caused by a globalist conspiracy or government incompetency, what we do know is that there were many locals who rose to the occasion with a heart that was filled with courage. For example, there's a guy named Bougie Sarabe. He found himself trapped on a street just a few blocks away from the Pacific Ocean. But rather than just saving himself he found three of his neighbors who were struggling and then he helped them to escape. And along the way, they came across several several others and he led them to the Lahaina United Methodist Church. And it was there where they actually located a number of hoses that they began to use to quickly soak the ground around them. And in this way, Sarabe's courage helped this group to survive the rapidly approaching fires. And we applaud him for his courage. How about Benny Rickey? Uh, or Reniki, uh, he, he was also fleeing from the fire when he encountered two women who were struggling to escape. Uh, he found Lainey Williams and her mom, Sincerity Mirkovich, and, and they were both trying to make it to the ocean, and yet uh, they were limited in their mobility. Thankfully for them, Benny Reniki, he demonstrated incredible courage as he took the time to help them escape certain fate. Then there was a guy named Randy Cordomanchi, and Cordomanchi moved to Lahaina about five years ago. And after the fires began to break out, you know, Cordomanchi and his son Christian, they tried to escape. But then after getting separated, Cordomanchi was concerned that his son would end up dying in the fire. And so rather than heading for the Pacific Ocean, he, uh, you know, just basically rose to the occasion and, and he grabbed as many fire extinguishers that he could find along his route and he began to fight the fires that were breaking out at the complex where he and his son had been living. And finally, after fighting the fire and waiting for his son, they they were finally reconnected. And this courageous father named Randy Cordomanchi, he declares this, and I quote him here, Thank you, Jesus. I love you so much. Without debate, these are stunning stories of people with incredible courage. And as we consider these examples of courage, I can't help but to wonder, where does this kind of courage actually come from? You know, we all have kind of a fight or flight mechanism within us, and yet beyond that, there, there, there are times when we find people responding with incredible courage, and, and we think to ourselves, you know, could I have that kind of courage in such a, in such a catastrophic situation? Well, I'm sure we all recognize that the days that are before us will provide us with plenty of opportunities to demonstrate Christian courage. And with that being the case, I want to spend our time today considering the true core 
of Christian courage, which is Jesus Christ himself. And as we make our way through the scriptures before us this morning, we're going to begin to see, first of all, that the core of Christian courage, it stems from the spiritual help that we receive from the Lord. Secondly, the core of Christian courage stems from the scriptural hope that we have in the word of God. And finally, the core of Christian courage, it stems from a sacrificial heart, which was first found in Christ Jesus. And with all of this as the outline, let's open our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here we find Paul helping his audience to become courageous Christians. And as you make your way to the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll help you to remember that the bulk of this chapter, it's been centered around the end time events, which include the mystery of lawlessness, which is already at work. You know, we we also find in this chapter uh, information about the great apostasy as believers fall away from the church right prior uh, to the removal of the restrainer, which coincides with the rapture of the church. Paul also informed his audience about the rise of the Antichrist, which includes the power signs and lying wonders of Lucifer. And not only that, but Paul also described the strong delusion which is going to come upon the unbelievers who are left behind after the rapture of the church. And this all culminates in the second coming of Christ, followed by the eternal condemnation of those who reject Jesus. Well, as we've now recapped this laundry list of end-time events found in the beginning of this chapter, I'm sure that Paul was well aware of the fact that this focus on the future could cause many Christians to have a heart that's filled with fear. As we consider the things that will come upon the world in the last days, many can read this and think, oh, this is just too fearful for me. And, and, and you know, we can be completely discouraged by these things that will come upon the world. And with that being the case, you know, Paul wastes no time here reminding his readers that those who trust in Jesus are beloved believers. We considered that in our study last week. And now here in our text today, we find Paul, he's helping his audience to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to provide every Christian with the courage we need so that we can face a fearful future. With this as the focus, let's pick up our study of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you would, let's begin reading there at verse 16, because here Paul writes, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your heart and establish you in every good word and work. Well, here in the last two verses of this chapter... We find Paul, he's taking the time to encourage the Christians who were there at the church in Thessalonica. As a matter of fact, the word consolation, which is found there in verse 16, and the word comfort, which is found there in verse 17, both of those words are translated from one Greek word, which speaks of the exhortation that brings encouragement. And seeing how every exhortative encouragement is intended to bring courage to those who receive it, Well, then there should be no doubt that Paul was helping his audience to become courageous Christians who are ready to face the future. In similar fashion, it's my prayer that this study today will help us all to become those courageous Christians who are ready to face what is before us. And with this as the goal, let's take some time to consider how the core of Christian courage is actually Jesus Christ himself. And I want to consider how Paul puts it 
It's there in verse 16 again where he declares, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation. Now I want to stop there because here in the beginning of this verse we find Paul reminding his readers that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the one who has given us everlasting consolation which fills our hearts with courage. That's right, the Lord Jesus, he is the Christ or the Messiah who was sent to become our substitutionary sacrifice so that those who trust in him can escape the condemnation that we actually deserve. And therefore, those who trust in Christ Jesus, well, we can also enjoy the comfort that encourages us with everlasting consolation. And we can look forward to the future with courage in knowing that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. At the same time, we must not fail to notice that God the Father has also provided us with the courage of everlasting consolation. We can see how they're working together in this. As a matter of fact, look with me again at verse 16. Here again, Paul declares, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation. Now, again, as we take a closer look, we must not fail to notice that the born-again believer has not only received the courage of everlasting consolation by faith in Jesus Christ, but, the, but our God and Father, or, or we might say God the Father, has also loved us. He's loved us and provided us with a way of receiving the courage of everlasting consolation. As a matter of fact, God the Father is the one who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son so that sinners might receive the courage of everlasting consolation by faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And what this means then is that God the Father is the one who predetermined a plan to provide us with the courage that comes from Christ Jesus. I like the way that Jesus put it in John chapter 3. It's verses 16 and 17 where he declares, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How incredible is that? God the Father sent his only begotten son so that we could escape the condemnation that we deserve. And now that Jesus has received the punishment that we deserve, well, those who trust in the only begotten son of God, we've also received the love that fills our hearts with the courage of everlasting consolation. And in order to grasp how we receive the love that fills our hearts with this courage, I want to consider the role that the Holy Spirit plays in all of this. And with this as the focus, let's take another look here at the beginning of verse 16, because here again Paul declares, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation. Now I want to stop there again. And I want to take a moment to understand the way in which the love of the Lord has been provided to us through everlasting consolation. And in order to grasp this sentence here, it might interest you to know that the word consolation, again, it's translated from a Greek word. This Greek word is parakaleo. And the Greek word parakaleo was used of those who encourage others who are, who are scared. You know, a parakaleo comes along and encourages a person so that their fear might be replaced with faith. 
And one example of this word is used of the military officer who, in the heat of battle, calmly encourages, exhorts, and steadies the frightened soldiers that he is overseeing. So think about that. The, the, the military officer comes along and encourages his soldiers in the midst of battle so that they might overcome their fear and fight with great courage. I, I like the way that the scholars who uh, created the Christian Standard Bible render verse 16, here's how they put it. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement. They, they translate, rather than using the English word consolation, they say encouragement. It's the same Greek word, it's parakaleo, but he's saying, hey, Jesus Christ and God the Father are here to give us their love so that we might be eternally encouraged or filled with courage. And from this, we can see then that those who find themselves fighting the good fight of faith today, well, we might have hearts that are filled with fear. And if so, then we ought to look to God the Father and God the Son for the courage that we need to continue fighting the good fight of faith. And from this also, we can see that the love of the Lord has been given so that we can be filled with the courage we need to live our lives for him. And with this as the goal, you might be interested to know here that this consolation of encouragement that comes from a parakaleo, well, it's provided to us by the indwelling parakletos, who was sent to encourage us with heavenly help. In other words, the, the, the Lord provides Christians with the courage, acting as a parakaleo, by providing us with the indwelling parakletos, uh, who was sent to be our heavenly helper. And this is exactly the word, parakletos. This is the word that Jesus uses in John chapter 14 as he describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, it's in John 14, it's verses 16 and 17, where Jesus uses the word parakletos when he declares this. He says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, another parakletos, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now this word helper, it's again translated from the Greek word parakletos, which can also be translated advocate or comforter or helper in this case. And as we consider the connection between this Greek word parakletos, which describes the helping ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the Greek word parakaleo, which Paul used here in our text today, well, it seems apparent to me that the Holy Spirit is the one who was sent to help us by filling our hearts with the courage of everlasting consolation. That's right, God the Father, through the sacrifice of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, then sends the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, to serve as our parakleo, to provide us with the courage we need to fight the good fight of faith today. I like the way that the Lord Jesus explains all of this in Mark chapter 13. It's there where he declares this. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Anybody heard of wars and rumors of wars yet? When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and troubles and direct energy weapons and, oh, sorry, no, that's, 
Uh, that's not there. But he says, these are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit, the helper, the parakletos. The Lord Jesus here is referring to the tribulations and troubles and trials which will take place during the last days and knowing that there will be those who are persecuted for their Christian faith, the Lord Jesus encourages us to seek the heavenly help of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was sent to provide us with the courage we need to speak the words that will be given in the very hour of our trial. From this, we can see that the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God has provided us with the spiritual help that we need so that we can become courageous Christians. And, and yeah, even in the times of our greatest trials. And so if you're wondering if you're going to have the courage you need to face a fearful future, well, yeah, if you walk by faith. If you walk by faith with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will help you and give you the courage that you need at the time when you need it. And while it's true that the core of Christian courage stems from the spiritual help that comes from the Holy Spirit, the core of Christian courage also stems from the scriptural hope that fills our hearts with great confidence. And with this as the focus, let's turn our attention back to the text that's here before us today. Look with me again here at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to refocus your attention at verse 16. Here Paul again declares, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Now here in this verse, we find Paul helping the Christians there at the church in Thessalonica to understand that our heavenly helper not only provides us with the courage of everlasting consolation, but the Lord has also given us the courage that comes from the confidence that we have in our heavenly hope. And to make my case here, it'll help you to know that the word hope, which is found there in verse 16, it's translated from a Greek word which was used in reference to the confident expectation of something happening. You know, we, we all have a confident expectations of things that will happen. We, we might have a confident expectation that, you know, Christmas is going to come this year and it's going to be a wonderful time. And, and, but then we, we also have a confident expectation that the world's going to get really ugly right before the rapture of the church and even worse after that. So yeah, we have a confident expectation that really bad things are going to come upon this planet. And you might be thinking, well, what kind of hope is that? If it's a confident expectation of bad things, you know, where's the hope in that? Well, with this question in mind, you know, I can't help but to remember when I was a kid, you know, whenever I did something wrong, say like after school, you know, my mom would send me immediately to my room and she would, uh, you know, fill me with a confident expectation of punishment by declaring, just wait till your father gets home. 
And I would go to my room and then wrestle with that confident expectation, knowing that patriarchal punishment was on the way. And then my mom would spend the rest of the day with a heart filled with hope. And so I had hope in, you know, maybe the punishment won't be as bad as, as I think it's going to be. And she had hope that I, I was out of her hair for the rest of the day until my dad came home and, and, and gave me the punishment that I deserved. So with that, just think about that for a moment. There was a confident expectation on my part of being punished, while there was a confident expectation on her part of being free from me for the rest of the day. Now, with all this in mind, we can rejoice in knowing that the confident expectation of the Christian is good. It's a good, confident expectation and not evil. Let me prove my point. Look with me again here at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's verse 16. Here again, Paul declares, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and what? Good hope. Yeah, We've been given everlasting consolation and good hope. I don't know about you, but I'm thrilled to learn that the love of the Lord provides us with the courage of everlasting consolation, which fills our hearts with a good hope and not a bad hope. In other words, the born-again believer isn't waiting for the day of judgment so that the Lord can just finally get, get the punishment over with. No, no. Instead, we have a confident expectation of everlasting consolation, which results in an eternal inheritance. And all of this according to the gracious gift that Jesus Christ gives to those who will simply trust in him. Let's consider again how Paul puts it here in verse 16. Uh, Again, he declares, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. This good hope is given to us by grace. And that word grace, well, it's translated from the Greek word charis, which speaks of the unearned and unmerited favor. So it's not based on how good I am. It's not based on how well I perform or how often I serve or these sorts of things. No, it's unearned and unmerited favor that comes from God. The same word charis was also used in reference to the merciful kindness that the Lord uses to bring us to the place where we recognize our need for Jesus Christ. That's right, it's an act of grace for God to send his Holy Spirit to convict our hearts of sin and righteousness and judgment so that we might receive the grace of God by which we are saved. And listen, it's by the same grace that our Savior strengthens us with the courage of everlasting consolation as we continue to walk by faith with him. And all of this is based upon the good hope that we have in the mercy of our Messiah. I like the way that Paul explains it in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's verse 7 where he declares, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Do you have a spirit of fear? Like as you look forward to the future, do you just have fear in your heart? Does your mind instantly go to fearful thoughts? That's not from God. That's not from God. God did not give you, Christian, a spirit of fear. But he's given us a spirit of, notice, power and love and of a sound mind. And so Paul then says this to Timothy. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, 
but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Notice, before time began. Wait, what? This grace was extended to us before time began? That's right. Paul was encouraging Pastor Timothy by reminding him of the fact that those who trust in Jesus Christ have received a spirit of power, not of fear. And it's this spirit of power that fills us with the courage we need to continue standing with our Savior even when we find ourselves in the, in the midst of persecution. Even if we find ourselves facing the pain of persecution, and even if we find ourselves suffering for the sake of our Savior, we can still have a heart that's filled with good hope as we remember how the born-again believer has already been saved according to the purpose and the grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. In other words, there was a storehouse of grace placed within Christ Jesus before the beginning of the world and is now received by those who simply trust in him. And in this, we can take courage in whatever happens tomorrow, knowing that we will continue to receive the grace that brings good hope. Because that's what Jesus will, will pour out in our lives. He will continue to give us good hope as he guides us into the future. Listen, if you're a believer who has become discouraged Maybe you're looking at the mystery of lawlessness happening here in this world. You're, you're watching you know, the moral fabric of America falling apart. And you're, you're, you're watching you know, all the major cities across our country just in, continue to increase with, with the crime rate. And you're discouraged. And, and you're fearful as you wonder how much worse is it going to get. Listen, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But there, that's not reason for us to be discouraged. Instead, we should be encouraged, and I encourage you to remember that the courage of Christ Jesus is every day available to those who will simply spend time studying the scriptures, which provides us with a daily dose of heavenly hope. Do you need a daily dose of heavenly hope? I'm guessing that's true of all of us. I'm guessing that every day we wake up, we could all use a daily dose of heavenly hope, but Rather than turning to the scriptures, how many of us turn to what's happening in the news or what's happening with my favorite you know, talking head or, or, or what's the worst thing that happened during the night? I don't know. And so we wake up and all of a sudden it's just news, 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 news feed. And, and then you wonder why you're, you feel hopeless. Or, or maybe you're the other side of that coin and you're the person who wakes up and just sticks their head straight in the sand like an ostrich. I don't want to know. I don't want to know anything. And then you have to pull your head out every once in a while to breathe. And then all of a sudden you hear everything that's going on and you're just like, oh, head back in the sand. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to. Ignorance is bliss. Is it? Living with your head in the sand is blissful? I don't think so. Rather than going to either of these two extremes, we ought to wake up every day and, and put our head in the word of God. And study the scriptures, which fills our hearts with hope. 
Is it a direct energy weapon? Or, or are, are the, the people in Maui just dumb? You know, are, are the leaders over there failing? Or, or is there a globalist, you know, is Putin up in space with a, you know, beam shooting down at Maui? And, I don't know. I, I don't know. But here's what I know for sure. Is that I have hope in Jesus Christ. I have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to have the same heavenly hope. Listen, the Bible is a gracious gift to us from God. The Bible is a gracious gift from God which provides us with the encouraging information that helps us to remember that those who walk by faith with Jesus Christ, that we will have a heart that's filled with hope. And yes, even as we watch this world going to hell in a handbasket. I like the way that Paul put it in Colossians chapter 1. There he declares this. He says, We give thanks to God and to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, because of what? Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. According to Paul, the Christians at the church in Colossae were being encouraged. They, they had a, you know, a heart that was filled with courageous love after they heard about the hope that they had waiting for them in heaven. That's right, your, your hope's not here on earth. It's waiting in heaven. And we must not fail to notice that they heard about this heavenly hope after receiving the word of the truth, which is found in the gospel of grace. Where will you learn about this heavenly hope? CNN? MSNBC? Your favorite conspiracy theorist? No. This hope is revealed in the Bible. The heavenly hope that gives us great courage about the future is something that's spelled out in the scriptures. And those who will spend time studying the scriptures every morning uh, will also have a heart that is filled with hope, resulting in courage. The courage that helps us to face whatever happens tomorrow. I want to consider how the psalm is put it in the 119th psalm. It's there where he declares, let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. Those who spend time studying the scriptures each and every day will have a heart that is filled with hope regardless of what's happening in the world around us. And the reason why is those who study the scriptures will begin to see that the Lord has promised to provide every believer with an everlasting consolation according to his never-ending grace. Therefore, rather than fretting about the future, the Christian ought to spend time studying the scriptures as we discover the good hope of grace which is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ according to his word. And in order to prove my point, let's just consider what the Lord said in Jeremiah chapter 29. It's verse 11. 
Uh, There he declares this. He says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I don't know about you, but, but as I consider this encouraging verse, my heart is filled with courage. And the reason why is because this verse reminds me that our God has a perfect plan to provide us with a wonderful future and an everlasting hope. And while it's true that this world is being primed for the rise of the Antichrist and the mystery of lawlessness is already at work and things are going to get out of control so much so that it's going to be hard to handle, at the same time, our God has promised to provide us with a future and a hope. And in light of this promise, the Christian who is lacking courage today ought to spend more time studying the scriptures with a heart filled with faith. You see, it's in the scriptures where we learn that believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I don't know about you, but that fills my heart with hope. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the you know, redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. What does that mean? It means that if I die here on earth, I go straight to be with Jesus. I don't know about you, but that gives me great hope. It's in the scriptures where we learn that there are everlasting blessings to those who suffer for the sake of our Savior, so that even if we're persecuted here on this planet, we still have hope in knowing that we're going to be rewarded for the, for the pain and the suffering that we experience for the sake of Jesus. It's in the scriptures where we learn that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Are you the church? Are we the church? And if yes then what can the gates of hell do to us? Nothing that the Lord doesn't allow. If you're lacking the good hope that fills our hearts with Christ-like courage, then it's probably time to spend more time studying the scriptures that remind us about the hope we have in Jesus because the core of Christian courage stems from the scriptural hope that the Lord has graciously provided to us. And so we see then, you know, as we move on to this third point, the core of Christian courage, it stems from spiritual help of the Holy Spirit. It stems from the scriptural hope that fills our hearts with confidence. And finally, uh, the core of Christian courage stems from the sacrificial heart that's found in the hearts of those who will submit and serve our Savior. And with this as the focus, I want to turn our attention now back to our text today. Look with me again here at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to begin once again at verse 16 where Paul declares, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Now, as we, be, as we begin to take a closer look here, here at verse 17... I should first take a moment to remind you that the word comfort found there at the beginning of verse 17, it's translated from the same Greek word which was rendered consolation back in verse 16. That being the case, it'll help you to remember that this word was used of those who encourage those who are lacking courage. We thought about or considered the way that a military officer would encourage uh, the, the scared soldier. But I'd like to present you with another idea here, uh, uh, an illustration of what this word means. You see, the, the Greek word that's translated comfort here, it's, it can be used to describe the parent who calmly comforts their frightened child by helping them take courage in the comfort of their protective presence. 
If you've raised a child or you are raising a child, you know, during a thunderstorm, you might have a child that is filled with fear at the sound of the the thunder or at the the flashings of lightning. And and if you run to their side in the middle of the night and just let them know that everything's going to be fine, that they find great comfort and even courage in the presence of the parent because their parent is present. And in the context of this verse, Paul is talking about the comfort that comes from God the Father who provides us with the courage we need as we walk by faith in the sacrificial love of the Lord. And while it's true that God the Father wants to comfort the hearts of the the frightened Christians so that we might take courage in Christ Jesus, well, he also wants to establish our hearts with the spiritual strength that gives us great courage. And just to be clear, the word establish, which is found there in the middle of verse 17, it's translated from a Greek word which speaks of the stabilizing strength that enables us to stand strong in our faith. This is the same word that Paul will use in our text next week. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. That's where Paul declares, The Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Now we're going to spend more time looking at this verse next week as we get into the third chapter of this book. But for now, I just want to point out that those who trust in Christ Jesus can take courage in the fact that the Lord is faithful and able to establish our stance and guard our hearts against the, the evil one. He's, he's able to guard our hearts against the attacks of the enemy. Therefore, rather than living in fear of the future as we worry about how the enemy is going to attack us, you know, let's, let's instead take courage in the love of the Lord, which provides us with everlasting consolation and comfort as we realize that God the Father has promised He has promised to establish us and guard us from the evil one. How is the evil one going to attack this world in the the days uh, to come? Well, I don't really know fully, but I'm also not that worried about it. Why? Because the Lord is here, and he's here to protect those who trust in him and, and guard us from the evil one. Not only that, but listen, we also have no reason to fear our calling in Christ. Because while some Christians are afraid of what the enemy is going to do, you know, if, if uh, you know, given the, the green light from God, so to speak, there are also those who, who are afraid to serve the Lord in the way that he's called us to serve him. And in order to explain what I mean, let's take another look at the text today. If you would, let's back up and begin reading at verse 16. Here again, Paul declares, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in, notice, every good word and work. From this, we can see that the Lord wants to encourage us and establish us so that we can become those believers who are glorifying God in both the words that we speak and the works that we engage in. And as we consider the commission that we've all received from Christ Jesus after converting to our, our Christian faith, you know, I, I have no doubt that the church is filled with Christians who lack the courage that they need to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who don't yet believe. And listen, uh, this might be true of some here in our congregation today. If this sounds like your struggle, then I encourage you to remember that the love of the Lord was given to us to establish us for every good word. 
In other words, the Lord is able to fill our hearts with his sacrificial love so that we can have the courage that we need to go into the world and accomplish the great commission beginning with the preaching of the gospel to every person that the Lord calls us to reach. Listen, Christ Jesus isn't asking you to conjure up some sort of carnal courage so that you can go accomplish the Great Commission. No, he is the one who is able to establish us for every good word by giving us the supernatural courage that we need, which was found in the sacrificial heart of our Savior Jesus. And listen, this is not only true of the words we're called to preach as we're sent to go and reveal the gospel of grace to unbelievers, but this is also true of the works that we're called to accomplish in the context of the church. And if you would, look with me once again here at verse 17, where Paul encouraged his audience by informing them that the Lord wants to comfort our hearts and establish us in every good word and work. That's right, the Lord is ready to provide us with the courage we need so that we can preach the gospel message to hostile unbelievers. And at the same time, he wants to give us the courage that we need so that we can step up and serve the Lord according to the good works that he's calling us to engage in. Just to be clear, the Greek word, which here is rendered work, it's used in reference to the good deeds and the noble actions that we engage in as we step out to serve our Savior. This is actually the same Greek word that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 2, where he declares this. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. From this we can see that good works won't save us. If you're trusting in your good works to save you, let me assure you right now, it's not going to work. You won't do enough good works to make up for all your bad works. Won't ever happen. Good works cannot save us. No, instead, we're saved by God's grace, which is received by faith in Jesus Christ. At the same time, those who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ should also recognize that we were saved unto good works. The Christian has been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the Lord has prepared these good works beforehand so that we might walk in them today. And what this means then is that the Lord is calling every Christian to engage in good deeds and noble actions according to his calling. Sadly, there are many Christians who won't step up and serve the Lord, and, the, and, and one reason why is for you know, fear of failure. They're afraid to fail. And so for fear of failure, they fail to serve the Lord. Now, which one would you rather fail at? Would you rather fail at, at stepping up and serving the Lord or would you rather fail as you try to serve the Lord? To me, it makes more sense to go for it. And if you fail along the way, then there's grace that the Lord has for you. Praise the Lord. But don't fail for fear of failure. 
And, and if you're lacking the courage that it takes to step up and start serving the Lord, well, it might help you to consider the courage of Christ Jesus as he wrestled with you know, the, the stress that came along with serving God the Father according to his calling. And with this as the focus, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. If you would, let's turn to Luke chapter 22. And as you make your way to the 22nd chapter of Luke's Gospel account, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the Lord Jesus is the human incarnation of the infinite Logos of God. We're talking about the hypostatic union of Christ. Jesus was 100% God and at the same time, 100% man. And with that being the case, it's also important to, to realize that his deity was contained within his humanity. The deity of the Logos was contained within the humanity of Mary's first son. And, and what this means then is that the, de- the, the deity of Jesus didn't come to animate the humanity of Jesus like a puppet. But rather, the deity of Jesus came to experience life as a human, and in this way, he was able to suffer all of the same temptations that we wrestle with, and yet uh, Jesus was able to overcome those temptations so that he remained sinless. Well, here in Luke chapter 22, we find Jesus being tempted uh, to, uh, to give in to his fears of the punishment that he was about to endure. And we find him here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you would look with me here at Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 39, here Luke tells us that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his dis- uh, disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, "'Pray that you may not enter into temptation.'" And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane just prior to the cross. And as we consider the way that his sweat became like great drops of blood, some scholars have suggested that he was actually suffering from a condition that occurs when extreme levels of stress cause multiple blood vessels around the sweat glands to constrict. And as a result, the people who experience this extreme pressure, uh, they begin to bleed from their pores. So it's possible that Jesus was literally sweating blood as those blood vessels constricted around the sweat glands. And this is a condition that, is, that occurs in people who are so stressed out that their body just begins to uh, in, uh, you know, uh, suffer this, this stressful condition. And we can't say for certain if, if this is what's happening here. It may be that Jesus was just sweating so much that it looked like he was bleeding. You know, maybe that was the case. We, we don't know for sure, but what we do know is that he was in agony. That's what it says in verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Yeah, he was, he was dealing with a great amount of agony. He was, he was stressed out beyond belief as he considered the amount of pain that he was about to endure. 
And as we consider the pain of the scourge that thrashed his back wide open or the cruelty of the cross that leaves a person suffocating as they push up on the, the, the one nail in the ankles in order to get, you know, grasp for, uh, for air, and, you know, or, or even the, the pain of taking on the burden of uh, all sins for all time there on the cross and, and receiving the punishment that, that we all deserve for those sins. I mean, you know, the Lord Jesus understood that he was about to endure uh, an intense amount of pain. And so we shouldn't be surprised to learn that the Lord Jesus here in this prayer is asking, hey, is there a plan B? Is there another way to save people without the whole cross thing? Unfortunately for him, there was no other way. There was no other option. There was no plan B. Thankfully for us, the Lord Jesus, with a heart filled with courage, stepped up and accomplished the work necessary for our salvation. With an incredible amount of courage, he offered himself as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins so that those who trust in him can be saved. And in this way, we can see how the sacrificial love of the Lord ended up giving him the courage that he needed to go ahead and fulfill the good work of the cross. And in light of his example, it's crucial for every Christian to remember that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit wants to make us more and more like Jesus every day. Are we? Are we becoming more like Jesus every day? With this question in mind, I want to consider the the way that Paul puts it here in Philippians chapter 2. It's here in Philippians 2 where Paul declares, If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. As we consider these these incredible verses, we see here that Jesus is not only our Savior, who has completed the work necessary for our salvation, but he's also the example that we've been called to follow. We've been called to become more and more like Jesus every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we consider the way that Christ Jesus, with great courage, laid down his life for us, we must remember that he's called us to lay down our lives for others. Just like he washed the feet of his disciples, he's called us to wash each other's feet. Just like he set aside his glory and and offered himself a sacrifice for our sins, he's calling us now to serve one another, to, to set aside our own interests every now and again, to step up and become faithful servants, 
so that we can help others to see the sacrificial love of the Lord in our lives. And, and it's sad to say that there are many Christians who are filled with fear as they consider this calling. And the reason why is because this calling comes at a personal cost. To become a servant of others, you have to set aside the things that you want to do now and again. And a lot of Christians aren't willing to do that. And yet Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, so not not wrong to look out for your own interests, but you have to go beyond that. He calls us to look out for the interests of others also. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Did Jesus come to save himself? No, he laid down his life so that sinners could be saved. And this is the mind that, he, that Paul is calling us to have as we serve one another here in the church. And so if your mind is filled with fear as you consider having to give up you know, some of the things that you want to do in this life, I encourage you to remember that the Lord wants to fill your heart with the courage that's needed to sacrifice those things so that we can be established and strengthened in our Savior to accomplish every good work according to the sacrificial heart that was found in our Savior Jesus. As we wrap up this study, I just want to take a moment in closing to remind you that the Lord Jesus isn't asking you to conjure up some carnal courage so that you can fake it till you make it. He's not looking for, you know, people to, to pretend to be brave when they're really not. No, he wants us to be courageous Christians who despite our fears, who despite our concerns about the future, which are very valid, and yet the, the Lord Jesus wants to give us the courage to, to ignore all of those fears and, and, and to step up and to accomplish our calling by faith in Jesus knowing that the mystery of lawlessness seems to be gaining steam here in this world, I encourage you to remember that the core of Christian courage stems from the spiritual help that we receive from the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to be courageous Christians. The core of Christian courage also stems from the scriptural hope that fills our hearts with confidence as we study the scriptures. And so we need to study the scriptures so that we can have the courage that we need. And the core of Christian courage stems from the sacrificial heart that's found in the lives of those who will simply submit to our Savior as we set out to serve him. And to sum it all up with simplicity, listen, those who will simply walk by faith with our Savior Jesus Christ according to his word, we will become those courageous Christians according to the everlasting courage of Christ Jesus. Let's pray.